I want to, there it is, look at that. Why don't we talk about that? <laughs> what a novel idea. So we, are, uh, we have been talking about this whole concept of destiny and coming into the fullness of who we really are for pretty much the whole year, um, with a couple of little interludes here and there. Um, but essentially, that is the deal. Incidentally, if you haven't signed up for the Destiny Alignment Activation Program, there's probably like a couple of spots left, and that's about it. And it closes 5 p.m. tomorrow. After that, the wheels will be in motion, and it will be too late until next time. And I can't tell you when that is yet, because I actually don't know, but it will be sometime. Um, as uh, we were praying as a core team on Monday night, and, you know, we, we often pray into, okay, what's God doing? What's next? What's the next thing that we need to build on where we've been going? And the, the clear message coming through is that if we're going to occupy a bigger space in the spirit, then we need to be upgraded in the way that we think about ourselves. Uh, Bill Johnson says it like this. He says, we cannot afford to have a thought about ourselves in our mind that isn't in his mind. But the vast majority of us have been discipled in smallness. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Not? Okay, we've been discipled in smallness in the church. We've been taught that greatness equals arrogance. And we've been taught that humility, to be humble, means to be small. <laughs> and Jesus was the humblest guy who ever walked the face of the earth, but he was anything but small. And he was anything but arrogant. So there is a way. Like I said, most of us have been discipled. Thank you, Megs. It's hot. Okay, thank you for telling me that because that could have gone really badly then. Um, we have been discipled to think about ourselves in a way that is less than what we ought. Now, someone might quote the scripture from Romans that says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. What I want to suggest is we've got no idea how highly we ought to think about ourselves. <laughs> Our ought has been set somewhere down here when it's meant to be up here somewhere. So I want to undo some dodgy theology. I want to undo some dodgy beliefs that we have about ourselves in two areas. In particular, about our worth and about our nature. I'll get to that in a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Very familiar stuff. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So that word transformed right there. In Greek is the word metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis from. Now, what, what does metamorphosis? Butterflies. What were they before? They're a caterpillar, slug, a wormy-looking thing. But when they transform into a butterfly, how different is their world after that? <laughs> what are you doing to them, Bruce? <laughs> we have a heckler in our midst, <laughs> which actually is really good because um, Jane hasn't quite started up yet. And I'm just, 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 just waiting, just waiting. Can you give us a little bit of information about butterflies? Yeah. I don't know, can you? Every language. Every language. Different words. 
every language is a different word. Yeah. In French, the word is papillon. It is beautiful. In German, it's schmetterling. Yes, it is. That is the German word for butterfly. That's why I love German. It's so harsh. It's so harsh. I just love it. I think German's what we're going to speak when we get to heaven. <laughs> but as different is on one side of the metamorphosis to the other, this caterpillar thing, it is completely earthbound. And then once it metamorphosizes... I don't even know if that's a word, but let's say it is right now. Once it metamorphosizes, it is, it's able to fly. It's able to do things it could never do. That, that is the sense of this word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And one of the biggest transformations I want to suggest, one of the biggest areas where we need to have our mind renewed is our thinking about ourselves. Because, as I said, we have been discipled in smallness and we've called that humility. Come back to that verse in a moment. So I want to myth bust some religious discipleship in smallness. Like I said, particularly about our worth and about our nature. And I'm going to do it in a hurry. So my worth. Here's the myth. God is good. I'm not. Anyone? I mean, we all kind of know God is good. Although in reality, when we really get down to it, there's big arguments around how good God actually is. It's actually one of the most interesting theological debates around right now is actually over the goodness of God. Because people want to actually argue that God's actually not as good as he appears to be. I don't know why you'd want to argue for that. But people do, apparently. So God is good. I'm not so good. There's a little bit of a problem with this belief. Because the truth is you are made in his image and likeness. That word image, where it talks about in the image of God, it's like um, the concept is like a coin stamp where you know, you've got this piece of molten metal and the stamp comes down and poof, bangs the image into it. And now that image is there permanently. Like we, we are made in his image. Now, if we are made in his image and we're not that good, what does that say about him? That, that, that's, that's a bit of a problem. See, if I am made in his image, then accusing me is actually accusing him. I thought that was a better point than the response I got. <laughs> Say it again. I said, so if I'm made in his image and I accuse me, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm, insert your own adjectives here, then I'm actually accusing him because I'm made in his image. So if I take, if I was to take a cardboard cutout, who's not, Cameron's very secure and a dear friend of mine. So I can do this knowing that, knowing that I love him dearly and he knows that. Yes? Let's just check that. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yep. So if I was to take a cardboard cutout of Cameron, pop it over here, and it was in his exact image and likeness, and then I was to stand here and go, that is one ugly son of a cardboard cutout. This is, you, you see, I, I chose someone who can handle it because clearly that's not true. I mean, look. But do you see what I mean? If I'm accusing the image, I'm accusing who the image is of. Now, is it... This is a, this is a total setup question. Is it more arrogant 
to agree with God or to disagree with God? It's more arrogant to disagree with God, yes? Yet, we call it humility when we say, I'm but a worm, I'm a scumbag, I'm in the name of humility, yeah? But is that humility or is that actually arrogance to think that what I think about me is more true than what God thinks about me? It's just a thought. Because again, this issue of my worth is much bigger than just how I feel about myself. And though, by definition, that's what it is. I will always manifest externally the world that I cultivate internally. And if I am to express the glory of God through my life, that is going to be severely limited when I believe things about the vessel through which that's going to happen that are not true. Are we making sense? So the whole thing of, well, God's good and I'm not so good. Let let me take it a little further. I'm not worthy. (laughs) Bring some Monty Python clips to mind. Of course, most things bring some Monty Python clips to mind with me. I'm not worthy. Now, When we say things like, God, I'm not worthy, you know, the prayers that in my growing up years in the prayer book were, um, you know, I'm not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. You know, the one I'm talking about. We remember this from, from years gone by. Now, I totally get what that's saying. I, I totally get it. Like, who he is compared to who we are. Yeah, I get that. So I'm, I'm... But there's this thing that seeps into us when we adopt this belief that misses something really significant about who we are. So how do you determine the value and worth of something? Some of you have heard me talk about this before. How, how do you determine that? What determines the value or worth of something? It's cost. It's cost. And it's, well, essentially, but I might look at the cost and I might go, I'm not willing to pay that. It's not worth that to me. So it's the cost, but it's the price that I'm willing to pay for that thing determines what it's worth to me. Now, or the price that someone is willing to pay determines its worth. Yeah, exactly. So you can see where I'm going here, can't you? You want me to say it anyway? What was the price paid for you? There is no higher price than a life, let alone the life of Christ. So the price that was paid for you actually determined your worth. And the price was the price paid before you were saved or after you were saved? It was before, right? So we think, well, I was a scumbag. I was nothing. But now I'm in Christ. He's made me worthy. Sorry. The price was paid. Therefore, the worth was determined before you ever even knew he existed. So the truth is, your worth was proved at the cross. See, Jesus didn't die for junk. He didn't die for something that was worthless. Otherwise, he's saying his life was worth nothing. 
Are we getting the point? Now, this is not in my notes, as a lot of things I say, but anyway. Um, Colossians says that we are created by him and for him. So we're created by him. We get that. But we're also created for him. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. When you create something for your average person, there's a certain level of care and precision that goes into it. And that may be a little bit variable depending on who the market for that product is. But when you create for a king, only the best will do, yeah? So when something is created for a king, see, kings, royalty only does excellence. So when something is created for royalty, it is done with excellence. Now, you were created by him and for him. For royalty, for him. You were created for the king of all kings. Doesn't that say something about your worth? Not just created by him, but created for him. For his pleasure. It's time that we allowed the Spirit of God to declare war, to declare war on our self-worth issues because all they're doing is keeping us small. Now, I know, because I mean, I work with this you know, day in and day out. I know that most of our, our worth issues come from you know, bad experiences in life, rejection, failure, shame, whatever, whatever those things are. So I get that, and you know, I, I work with people nearly every day of my life to, to bring healing to those things. So don't hear this as lacking compassion, because I've kind of pointed my whole life at getting those things healed. But our stuff, our shame, our failure, our mistakes, our rejection, they're not bigger than the cross. And we often think we're a product of our past, but we're actually a product of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And that's where our worth was determined. Are we getting the idea? Now, we're, going to get it, we're getting it here, but I just, I, I just pray that it just sinks. <laughs> because you're way more valuable than you think you are. And our questions over our self-worth actually war against our destiny. And that's why I want to see that stuff killed. Okay. My worth. Let's talk about my nature. I'm talking about my nature as a believer. So, the myth. <laughs> I am a sinner saved by grace. Anyone heard this? Now, is it true that I was a sinner? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it true that I was saved by grace? Absolutely. But to attach my identity now as this, whoops, come back, as this, was the cross enough or not? Yes. Now we all say that straight away. Let me, let me ask this question. This is a shocker. Do saved people need a saviour? I'm just going to leave that one hanging out there because <laughs> we, we could have many, many good red wine discussions over that statement alone. Well, that's my point. 
It should say I was a sinner and I was saved by grace. But we here in the church so often, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But the truth is, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm actually a saint. I am actually the righteousness of God in Christ. That is, that is who I actually am. Now, Paul never said when he wrote his letters to the churches, to the sinners saved by grace at Ephesus, Corinthians, Colossia. Yeah, he never said that. He always said to the saints. In other words, coming into Christ fundamentally changed your entire nature and essence. So you don't have a seared conscience anymore. That was dealt with at the cross. Your heart is no longer desperately wicked, quoting Jeremiah, that we often do. That was the old. That was Old Testament. That was before the cross. I've been given a new heart. My heart of stone's been taken out. I've been given a heart of flesh, Hebrews says. Flesh is soft. Stone is hard. They're very, very different, especially if someone throws a pound of it at you. I have no idea where that came from. Let's just move on and pretend it didn't happen. Um, So let's take this a little bit further. Is my primary nature fallen as a human being? Now, my, my upbringing told me, yes, my primary nature is fallen. And this goes along with the I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace bit. But is that actually true in Christ? It was. No question that it was. Absolutely no question at all. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 4, let me go there and feel free to follow if you like. And you will have heard me read from this many times, I'm sure, because this is one of my favourite passages of all. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power, talking about God's divine power, has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That word goodness literally means in Greek manifestation of divine power. It does, it's goodness. It's, it's the, essence, the, the When the woman touched Jesus and Jesus went, virtue has come out of me or goodness has come out of me, same concept. Oh, I thought that was inside my head for a minute. Sorry. So then verse 4, through these... His glory and goodness. He has given us his great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the fallen nature, is it? No. You may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by its evil desires. What this is telling us is that actually in Christ, my primary nature is Christ's. In other words, my primary nature is actually divine, not fallen now. Now, what would it look like if we started to attach our faith to that instead of our attaching our faith to brokenness, fallenness, and the like? Because most of us sin by faith. <laughs> Yet when you believe that you're a sinner, when you believe that you are fallen, you will sin and do fallen things by faith because it's coming out of your belief system. But in Christ, my entire nature is changed. So I have Christ in me and you actually have his mind. That doesn't mean you use it, but you have it. <laughs> you have it available to you. Like I said before, your conscience actually isn't seared anymore. 
you have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living inside of you. You have been born again of an entirely, of entirely another reality. What would it look like to attach our faith to that? How much more space would we occupy in the spirit realm if that was our reality? What's this got to do with us manifesting our, de- our destiny? Absolutely everything. <laughs> because what flows out of us comes out of what we cultivate inside us. So, some truth. You are created to manifest His glory on earth. You've heard me say this many times and even a few times in the last couple of weeks. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, and that's usually where we stop. Verse 24 says that we've been justified freely by His grace. Now, we fell short of the glory, not the morality of God. Now, we didn't fall short of His rules or His behaviours. We fell short of His glory. So the ultimate end goal of the Father is us demonstrating and manifesting the glory of God. Now, what is the glory of God? It's the outworking of His character and nature, of who He is. So when, um, when you hear the angels came and the glory shone around, the glory was an outward manifestation of the character and nature of God. And of course, it's light because that's who He is. Now, something about that. Interesting little thing. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn to John chapter 17. No, actually, I have it up here. I have it here. Before I put that up, let me ask you the question. What would you accomplish in your life, in your destiny, in your kingdom life, if the same glory that was on Jesus was on you? It does require some thought. It's a little bit challenging because you're possibly feeling like I'm setting you up for something as well, which may be completely true. So let's look at Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. So Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. That was when he was praying for his disciples before that. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Who is that? That's us. In other words, I pray for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me, I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. That, that is an amazing picture. And the Greeks had a word for that. Uh, it's the word perichoresis. It means mutual indwelling. When we talk about we're encircled by his presence, you know, it, take, it takes three to encircle someone. Then, next verse. This is devastating. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Oh. Oh. That's verse 22 of John chapter 17. I have given them. That's all of us. That's we all. We all, us all. (laughs) I have given them the glory that you gave me. That's huge. So all the things that you were thinking about, this is what I would do if the same glory that was on Jesus was on me. Not only are they possible, they're actually part of our divine commissioning. John 14, 12, Jesus said, you will do greater, th- the things that I do, you will do. In other words, the things he did, 
We'll do that. Now, I haven't got there yet. I haven't got to that. Working on it? Haven't got there yet. But then he said, but greater things will you do because I go to the Father. That's crazy. Who does he think we are? (laughs) Who does he think we are? See, ultimately, our destiny is about getting the glory that's on us all over everybody around us in whatever that looks like because God's glory or God's grace comes, and we talked about this, I think it was last week, in various forms. That word various means many colored. And the uniqueness and the colors of heaven are beyond anything of our comprehension. And every single one of us, has a unique thumbprint of God on our life that is different to everybody else. This is why he needs a body, because as a body, we fully express Christ. As individuals, we don't. All of us carry little bits. But our bit is unique. There is no one like you. Even if you're an identical twin, there is still no one like you. And if you don't manifest the glory that is on you, the world will miss out on knowing that part of who God is because there's a certain part of who God is that can only be expressed through you. You've probably heard me say this before, but I believe the glory comes out, not just down. You know, we sing songs, and I love these songs. I'll sing them all day. You know, let your fire fall, let your glory come down. And yes, I believe his glory comes down. There are times where God sovereignly pulls out and releases his glory. Absolutely there. Down with it, bring it on. But I believe the primary way the glory comes is out. And Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you is my hope of glory. Christ in me is your hope of glory. Christ in us is our community and our city's hope of glory. As we start to walk into and walk out who he has made us to be. This is why copying someone else is such a waste of energy. Because we make lousy counterfeits. Why be a counterfeit when you're a one of a kind? Part of our business, we run a women in leadership program and... um, I remember this kind of coming out my mouth during um, the course of some of the coaching that I was doing um, with some of these amazing up-and-coming women leaders in business and the whole te- temptation to compare themselves. And go, well, I'm not like that. I need to be more like that. Well, I'm not like this. And oh, maybe I should be more like that. And the question just came out of my mouth. If you have a whole lot of something, how valuable is it? Not very. But when there's only one on the earth, how valuable is it? See, we often think our value, well, if I can just be like them, then I'll be accepted and I'll be okay. No, you're never meant to be like them. Because you're a one of a kind. There is only one of you. There will never be another. I wonder sometimes as I look at particularly one of my kids, I'm like, oh, that reminds me of me. You scare me. But he still is, he's unique. Um, 
One in particular, but there's another couple coming along right beside. Anyway, let's move on. Isaiah chapter 60. One of my favourites. I love this. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Not will come, has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises on you. His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn or to the brightness of your rising, depending on which verse you read. This is how he sees you. This is how he sees us. As glorious ones who are shining so bright that nations look on and go, I need that. We need that. That's who he says you are. And then, of course, Isaiah 61, we have to get that in as many weeks as we possibly can. (laughs) This is talking about us. This is the outworking. So, you know, in the beginning of Isaiah 61, yeah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, and so on and so on it goes. This is the outworking of all that. He says, they, those who have been healed, set free, delivered, who have been the, the recipients of ministry, the ministry of Jesus, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know, what if you confess that over yourself every day? I am a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Because that's who you are. When he looks at you, he's like, my glory is all over her. My glory is all over him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated. They'll renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is how he sees you. This is who he sees you as. Not just one who rocks up to church and does their thing. He sees you as one that undoes generations of dysfunction and pain. And from your moment on, everything changes. That's how he sees you. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. Now, remember before he talked about to preach good news to the poor? See, when you're the poor, you're the one who is shepherding the flocks, working the fields and vineyards. Whereas the good news to the poor takes them out of a place of poverty into a place of prosperity where now others are working for you. You'll be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. That, 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 that's who you are. But we need an upgrade in how we think because our thinking is too bound to small stuff. It's too bound to what we've known of ourselves in our past. Now, what does this look like? Familiar passage. It's the transfiguration. We're familiar with, after six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up to a high mountain. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And so on it goes. 
Remember before we read in Romans 12, where it said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we said that Greek word there was the word metamorpho. And we talked about what that is. That word transfigured, exactly the same word. So Romans 12 could just as easily read, be transfigured by changing the way you think, especially about who you are. Because remember, we're created to manifest the glory of God. And as he was transfigured, what manifested? His face shone like the sun. He became as white as the light. The glory that, of who he really was got let out. Are you getting the idea? <laughs> and just in case you needed one more. This is John, the revelator. This is the one that said in the early chapters of Revelation, I saw the Lord. I saw Jesus. His eyes were like blazing fire. His clothes were what yeah, you know the revelation. John was the one that saw that. And John was the one that wrote, as talking about Jesus, as he is, so are we in this world. Not as he was. <laughs> See, we think so often that we are being molded into the likeness of the earthly Jesus. Uh, but the reality is the Christ who he is molding you into the image and the form of is actually the resurrected and glorious one. The transfigured state. That's huge. As he is I've said so many times before, our nature is more like an alien with superpowers than a sinner saved by grace. Because we are not of this world, as I read this book, yeah? One of the biggest upgrades we need to walk into the fullness of who we really are is we need to see ourselves how he does. And your behavior doesn't change who you are. Your behavior doesn't determine your identity. Because there's someone who's a whole lot higher authority than you that has determined your worth already. Has anyone got a hundred dollars, hundred dollar bill? Anyone? Is that? Are you okay if I just raid the offering for a moment? I promise I'll put it back. Okay. Because it's not often I actually have one that I can do this with. Although I'm not going to do everything that I'm going to demonstrate. Now, right now, how much is this bill worth? It's worth a hundred bucks. <laughs> Don't go too smart. Now, if I was to take this 
right now, blow my nose on it. I said I won't. <laughs> blow my nose on it. Scrumple it all up. And then start to insult it and go, you know what? I don't like that colour green. I don't like the number 100. I don't like the way you look. I, 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 it just doesn't work for me. I don't like it. I throw it on the ground. I stomp it in the dirt. It's covered in snot. It's covered in dirt. It's now been insulted and degraded. And then I pick it up. How much is it worth? Has its value changed because of what it's happened to it? If this $100 bill got up and walked off right now, would it change its value? Yeah. <laughs> and it changed my access to its value. <laughs> but would the note actually change its value? Actually, if it was a walking $100 bill, it would probably be worth a bit, but every analogy falls down somewhere, does it not? Why, why does its value remain unchanged? Because the Reserve Bank says that's what it's worth. Now, if I go, you know, I don't think it's worth that. Sorry. Does that matter? Why is that so? Why am I not a higher authority than the Reserve Bank? I've asked this a lot, actually. <laughs> I didn't make it. Ooh. That was better than anything I had. That's good. That's really good. But the point is, a higher authority has determined what this is worth, no matter what happens to it, no matter what it does. You're the $100 bill. A higher authority, it's back in the offering now, a higher authority has already determined what your worth is. And it doesn't matter whether you've been spat on, laughed at, chucked in the dirt, kicked around. It doesn't matter whether anyone has ever recognised your true value Higher authority has already determined it. And that settles it. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us. What I do determines what I do. See, we are created to live from the inside out. Out of the heart flow the issues of life, Proverbs said. So the whole way of living is from the inside out. What you cultivate inside of you determines what you align with. Now, what would it look like if we started to attach our faith to us being the transfigured, transformed ones? the glorious ones who are partakers in his divine nature rather than fallen, broken, rejected, scummy. What would that look like? Jesus, help us, please. We are so desperately in need of an upgrade. Father, where we have had a thought in our head about ourselves that is different to what you has, we, we, we repent right now. And even though our emotions might start to fight us right now and go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. We declare that you're the higher authority. Father, just let it settle. Let the truth settle over every single one of us, over everyone in this room, over everyone who listens on the podcast. 
let this truth settle deep and marinate deep into our hearts that we are created by you. We are created for you. Kings don't make junk and nothing created for a king is junk. Kings only do excellence. Lord, forgive us when we have actually accused your image by accusing us. Forgive us for our arrogance for thinking that how we think about ourselves is actually of higher authority than how you think about us. And we just let that go right now. And with it, we bind every accusing spirit, whether it be religious or otherwise, that's been assigned to keep us in smallness of thinking. And we bust that by the authority and the power of Jesus right now. And just as we were released over Jesus, before he did any ministry, the heavens were ripped open and the voice came from heaven saying, that's my son in whom I am well pleased. The, the, the essence of it is, that's my boy. <laughs> Lord, let that voice resonate deep in our hearts and spirits that whether we do any ministry, whether we do any, anything good or not, the first voice we hear is, we are your beloved child in whom you are well pleased. Your glory is all over us. Your nature is in us and through us, and we align ourselves with that truth. And we speak to our soul. We speak to our mind, and we say, come into alignment with that. Take this revelation deep, Father. Take it deep, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.